I'm actually kind of an ugly tomato as it turns out, but I'm trying to be rooted. <laughs> I have some bad tomatoes outside. This is why when I lean back, I can see my um, diseased tomatoes. And this is why I'm Googling tomatoes. So <laughs> what should a tomato look like? <laughs> Not that. And I have been searching. Welcome to Following the Fire. Thanks for joining us on this journey through the wilderness. Just like Israel followed the pillar of fire and smoke, we want to take a new look at our beliefs and just follow him. And like Israel, we get it wrong a lot, we get lost a lot, but we're doing our best to to go where God leads us. I'm Nathan. And I'm Steve. Don't you know it's all I have? On today's podcast, we're discussing kind of a variety of topics, including how our deconstruction's going, what relationships look like when they're not connected to a church, the Bible and being right. And, you know, unsurprisingly, it all ends up pointing to love. All these battles that I thought you wanted me to win, but you only wanted love. I was going to say, uh, I felt like it's been forever since we've talked, Steve. <laughs> and I realized that we do this every week, but when it's just me and you, it's different, you know? So yeah. We had a guest last week, guest the week before, and the week before that, um, you did it on your own because I was... Oh, that's right. Yeah. Because we couldn't connect. So it's been like, it's been forever since the Trinity. <laughs> That was a long time ago. Oh, and we didn't get, like, lightning didn't strike us and kill us or anything like that, so... It's thundering right now and windy, so I don't know what we're planning to talk about today, but I'm playing it safe. (laughs) Full orthodox uh, for the next 45 minutes or so. How's your deconstruction going? (laughs) Is that... Is that a question people ask? How, how do you say that? Uh, and good construction to you. <laughs> oh, that's funny. How's my deconstruction going? Um, well, still on the journey, I guess. Um, dealing with some weird blowback from family and friends about leaving our church. Uh, had lunch with a guy today who wasn't super happy with me. Um, and you know, the, I've, and I've had two different people this past week just basically sit me down and say, okay, what in the world happened? <laughs> sure. I'm like, I, I listen to my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah. It's about 20 hours long. You're going to have to. Yeah. 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 But I mean, it, it, I, I'm, I'm. And I don't think people understand or believe me when I tell them that throughout this process, I actually, I really actually do feel closer to God than I used to in a lot of ways. Partly that I've, you know, by kind of removing this layer, I feel like I've kind of removed this, removed a layer between me and God. And I mean, it's hard to describe, but. I I think a listener summed this up really well. And said he he went to a restaurant on on a Sunday morning, and suddenly the dressed up crowd came in, 
Yeah. And he was in the, you know, I'm just here for lunch crowd. And, but that was, he had always been in the dressed up, just came from church crowd. Right. And, and his feelings when he used to be in the dressed up for church crowd and and walked in and saw the, you know, branded t-shirt and shorts crowd (laughs) and just thought thoughts about what they must be, where they must be in their spiritual lives or, or who they must be. You know, it's not a a thing you dwell on for very long. It's a, it's a microsecond, but that, that, that flicker happens. And then being on the other side of it, knowing that he's the same exact person. Um, yeah. Is very revealing. And the, I think when you don't have anything to hide behind, that's kind of your borrowed morality or your borrowed authority. Like I'm in the right place doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of more just up to you. Yeah. Because when you're, I, I get, I never really thought about that before because if I'm part of a church there's a lot of a lot of work that I don't have to do or a lot of, at least, at least it seems like it because if I accept that the, the leaders are going the right direction, I just kind of assume that whatever they're saying is fine and kind of go with it. Yeah. And, and, sh- and showing up is your form of particip- participating, but you get to yeah. be part of the thing, part of the movement. And so you get to adapt the, all those, fe- the benefits that go with it. Yeah. And now it feels more intentional. I like I like that word. I, I was actually talking to your brother about this this past week, and like what 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 are they doing for church? We're trying to figure out what we're doing for church, and I haven't really done anything the past few weeks just because it's I don't know, it's more, I don't know it's like a mental block or something. But um, he, he just talked about how he wants whatever they end up doing, he wants to just be intentional about it and not get into a situation where it's just kind of like automatically doing the thing we always do, you know, punching the clock. Um, I don't know. I don't know what, the, I don't know what that looks like. And there, there's a piece of, of being intentional. That is when you focus on what you're doing, like I, I was talking to my wife about how amazing muscle memory is where, you know, I, I'm teaching my son how to play, how to throw a ball and how to play T-ball and, he has to think about every movement consciously yeah to get a to a ball to go um and i had to do that once also but but once it's ingrained in my muscle memory i barely have to think and i i throw a ball i'm i'm making all the same muscles move but i don't have to think about it but if you've ever had a chance to go backwards brushing your teeth with your left hand or whatever it is to to get into that place where you have to think about it again. Yeah. You discover a lot of things that you've been missing or you walk to the grocery store that you normally drive to. You, you see a lot more on the way. Cause I think people who are part of a church, it's not that leaving a church makes you more moral or more intentional or more anything. Oh, sure. Definitely doesn't. But I do think people who, who it's their, muscle memory to be in the church, I think they, they lose the imagination for what it's like to be on the outside and what, because uh, I, I felt this, the same thing. I've, it's been weird. You know, there, there's a unmoored feeling that, that I've definitely had just not mm-hmm. having the, the ritual. 
but my prayer life is deeper and more intimate and closer. Hmm. Um, my like Bible reading is mo- more exciting hmm. and moving. And I, you know, I, I have this passion, you know, the, I'm reading these books because I, because I'm just like, can't get enough. I, yeah. I can't get enough of this stuff. And yeah, I think it's hard to imagine the other side of the fence. Cause when you're part of the institution, you, so much of your, your, you kind of are invested in that. That's kind of the right way and the only way in some ways. Yeah. And so you yeah. want to believe that when someone is out that, they're not going to be able to to get to where you're going. Yeah, what you said earlier kind of reminded me of somebody, it was like a career coach or somebody back in the day said that um, something good to do, so w- when people drive to work, they tend to take the same route every time, you know, and, and because it's usually the most efficient or most comfortable or whatever. But he said, and it's important to once in a while purposely take a different route and, or, or, or try to take a different route every single day because it, as you're on, on your way to work, if you just do the same thing over and over and over, over you just kind of, you, your brain gets in a rut and then you get to work and it's in a rut. And then if you take, if you do something as simple as taking a different route, 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 whatever, how do you say it? Depends on if you're from Canada. Route. Route. <laughs> eh? <laughs> um anyway, if you take a different path to work, then it just triggers enough difference in your mind to kind of wake you up a little bit. And that's kind of how I feel about a lot huh. of this what we're, what we're going through is even if I end up at the, like some of the same conclusions as I had before in whatever topic we're thinking about, just having taken a different path to that place kind of wakes me up a little bit and that it, in general i guess it's just kind of a different path to god than i've taken before and i i i'm kind of a person who likes new things anyway i'm kind of a early adopter as the tech nerds would say and so i don't know if that plays into part of this whole thing but you definitely are an early adopter you're like I feel like since as long as I've known you, you've got, you are. For a long time, it was like Apple. I feel like, but you you like you know what's coming out. You know what the next <laughs> cool thing is. You're. Um, I know you just made your house more and more smart. You know, with switches and light yeah. bulbs and stuff. It's funny because I'm a I'm like a stubborn acceptor. <laughs> I'm on the trail end of that. I I didn't want a smartphone forever, and I kind of got forced into it once they just basically stopped making dumb phones. Um, but then I refused to get a good phone plan, so I have the one that only has um, cell service but no data. Um, so I'm yeah. I'm like in the, the marketing and business world, they call it, there's like the the big there's like the early adopters, and there's the Main, the mainstream, and then there's the long tail. They call it. You're, I'm the long. long I'm the long tail. That's like not. Nope. Not gonna do it. Not gonna change. I found the thing I like, and I'm gonna stick to it. And I. I mean, I definitely treated church that way. Uh, I, even 
you know, for a long time going to a church was, was kind of a scary thing for me, which is weird because I grew up going to church, but, um, I definitely had a period in my life where I would drive up, sit there for a while, for 15 minutes and dr- drive home, not get out of the car. Really? And, and finding, finding that ritual where I could kind of feel safe and, and escape when I needed to was, was definitely important for me. Hmm. And I, and now, you know, looking at, you know, w- what's my future going to be as far as communities of Christians, it's, it's definitely scary to think about, oh man, you know, meeting new people or, or, or starting that, that journey over. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of like to be in a place where people, where I don't have to defend myself, where I don't have to, mm-hmm. where I don't have to develop a reputation. I like, I like, I like it once my reputation is known. Yeah. Cause then I can be funny and, and, um, irreverent and stuff. Right. But you can't, you can't, <laughs> you can't be blasphemous on your first day to church. You have to wait for a hundred weeks later so that you can start to joke around. Yeah. When they don't know your dry sense of humor. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Christy's always warning me to, she's like, you've got to let people know you're joking. <laughs> Cause I'm, I'm always like making some dry snide comment about something and half the people in the room will kind of chuckle and the other half will be like, what was it a joke? <laughs> that's a, that's a Colorado to Oklahoma difference I've noticed. Is it? Man, uh-huh. That's a problem. Huh. Especially if, if you're being mean in the humor, but what you actually mean it to be is nice to the person. Right. You know what I'm talking huh. about? Yeah, yeah. There's a word for that. I don't know the word. I don't know. Sarcasm. I don't know what it is, but when you're giving someone a hard time. Yep. But it's not to demean them or or right or it's touch like, some sensitive part of them. It's 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 a place you know is safe for them. But you're yeah to show affection, right? Yeah. So exactly. <laughs> but I I have definitely been told in the South or specifically Oklahoma City that that does not go over well. Interesting. It's more about the people that you that you don't like. You're nice to, extra nice to. That's how you let them know that you. There's like ways to let people know that you don't like them by being nice. Yeah. But then the people you like, you also have to be nice. But I don't know the difference between the two. So uh, it's it's a scary culture for me there. People are weird. <laughs> yeah. All, I mean, all over, not just Oklahomans. People are weird. We, we, all, we all have that thing we bring with us into, into the colors, everything. Yeah. thing about what you were just saying about the community and finding a new one and i i am totally with you it's, it's a scary proposition to to try to try to navigate that and you know one thing that i'm thankful for we've talked about this before is that we we both kind of have a bit of an overlap community like your family and mine and some other families that have recently left or um are thinking about it or whatever and we're also trying to maintain community somewhat with some of the other folks who are still there. And what I'm finding is that 
and I don't know if this is a uniquely Church of Christ thing or if it's other churches that people leave, uh, but people seem to be having a very hard time with the concept of having a relationship with someone who doesn't go to church with them anymore. Mm. This I was talking to somebody uh, this past Monday, somebody who you know wants us to come back and was very upset and very disillusioned and and they're like, well, how in the world am I supposed to have a relationship with you now that you're gone? Like, we're still in the same town, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, people have relationships with each other all the time without church being involved, and it, I just thought that was in very interesting uh, problem quote unquote, to have of not having the concept of a relationship or a friendship with someone who's not sitting next to you in the pew all the time. I'm like sitting next to a pew next to someone in a pew does not make a relationship. I mean, it makes you you like have a common experience, but it's not a relationship. What if that happens to alcoholics and the people at the bar? Like how are we supposed to be friends now? You know? Yeah, I actually have heard that. Um, that's such a bad analogy that I just made. I do not mean anything by it, but but the but I do wonder if it's unique to Church of Christ. I'm I'm sure it's not. But shouldn't wouldn't you think that most of our friends would not go to church with us, statistically speaking? Like our neighbors, yeah. I mean like the the people that we interact with because we're in a in northern Colorado, I, I don't know the statistics. We're probably still 70% Christian. But but only, you know, if only 250 of those people go to the same congregation as you, what do you think about the other people in your life? Like, what role do they play? And why is it that, you know? Well, and it's, I think part of it is where you choose to invest your energy towards relationship. I don't know if it's because... If I only have relationships with people at my church, it's more comfortable because I don't have to worry about them going to hell. <laughs> I don't have to worry about them uh, arguing with me about politics or faith issues. And so I don't, maybe it's because you naturally gravitate toward them, or maybe maybe it's because some churches keep you so busy on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and like ladies' Bible class on Wednesday or Tuesday mornings and then stuff on Wednesday or the weekends with teens. And maybe those are your only options for actual friendships for, cause you just are default by, by those people around those people all the time. I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, I definitely, that's a valid, I would say the time thing is a valid thing. Cause I, I've said that before that I think some of the hurt that people who leave churches feel in, in when they are like not contacted by anyone anymore. Some of that is not excusable, but I think, I think some of it is at least explainable by, you know, just out of sight, out of mind. Cause, cause I've definitely done that where like the reason I was hanging out with those people at church is actually not because they're my friends or I like them. It's because they were in the same building. as me. (laughs) Yeah. And I ended up liking them and becoming my friends because of that. But um, I didn't add on to that any special effort to do anything outside of that. It's kind of just the default default way to, to hang out. Yeah. And so if one of them fell off the map, I I don't really have the 
you know, I don't have a, the tracker in my mind to realize, oh, I should, I should go get coffee with them. Some people have that. I do not have that. I don't have that with my friends. If any of my friends listen to this podcast, they have, this is more than they've heard me talk in the last 10 years because I, <laughs> I forget to, I don't call or, you know, or set up stuff. Um, so yeah, sorry. I'm, I'm the same sorry, everyone. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to be better about that, especially with um, leaving some people quote unquote behind, even though that they're, they're no further away than they were before. I've been trying to be more purposeful about getting with people and, you know, just, just last night uh, we spent time with, with a couple and it was fantastic. And yeah. they, they still go to church where we used to, and we got along amazingly enough and had a nice time. It is, so it is possible. It's possible. That's good news. I was going to say people miss, must miss you a lot more than they miss me because this is not this is not happening to, or maybe they think I still go there. <laughs> <laughs> um I'm not, well, you, I'm didn't, not you didn't air your dirty laundry like I did. Yeah. That uh, seemed and, to be the that seemed to be the kicker for some people because some people knew that we were leaving but then I posted that letter on Facebook that I read a few episodes ago and that seemed to really rub people the wrong way. And I didn't mean, I obviously didn't mean for it to hurt people, but I don't know. Yeah. It's you just do what all you bad. think is right and you can't always, I mean, it's not, I can't control how people respond to things. So I'm trying to re- teach myself and remind myself. And the response makes so much sense, but is also disappointing. It makes yeah. sense because anything you tie your identity to, if you feel a, an attack to that, it, it's hurtful. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be your, it, it doesn't matter what it is. So, so I think there's part of that, that I tie my identity close to this. It's important to me. And now you disagree with it. So do you disagree with me as a person? And mm-hmm. you, you're not saying that, but it, it's just very normal to feel that. So that, that's why it makes sense. But the reason it's disappointing is that if there was one collective identity that, should be should hold its sense of correctness or goodness or morality loosely it would be the church mm-hmm. the church is is maybe the one group that should understand its fallenness and its incompleteness and its its inability to meet the standard every you know the the way we're called to pray is forgive us our sins and it's not just forgive me the bad things I did. It's, it's a collective idea that mm-hmm. we are, we're not getting this right. So if the reaction to someone saying, I don't think you're getting this all right is that's hurtful and it's a church, it should be like, Oh, that's not a surprise. Yeah. We're, <laughs> you know, of course we're not getting it right. We're probably getting a lot of other stuff wrong. Or maybe you're you're wrong about the stuff you wrote, but we're probably wrong in ways that we don't even know, you know. Right. So what you what you see is what you would just expect out of anyone, but I think part of the hurt comes from having an expectation of what like a theoretical body of Christians would act like. Right. Um, I think that the terms like people talk about things like spiritual abuse or or just the the hurt from a church 
And one reason why it can be so painful is because it's from a place that you know what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be the place of refuge and love right. and safety and humility and, and all of that. Yeah, and one thing I think kind of along those lines that I think I maybe figured out today, it's it's my working theory anyway, is that I was trying to figure out why these why are some of these people who've talked to me so upset with me for going and doing something different? And why do, why are they so, just, just, they feel, they seem to be feeling a lot of hurt because I am not going to that same building anymore. And Christy and I were talking about it and she said, you know, our tribe, quote unquote, has, is, is being right is very important. Doing the right thing and the this collective idea that we all have to have the same opinions and same beliefs on things. That's so important that now Steve and Christy have said, Oh, well, we, we, but we're going somewhere else because we believe something different now, or at least that's one of the reasons, you know, we believe something different in these categories, these areas. And that is on one hand, it's, um, it's indict. They feel indicted themselves for not feeling that way, and I think they feel hurt because if I truly feel like I've found the truth, figured something new out, and I'm not staying along, staying behind to share it with them and talk them into it, then do I really love them? Because if you really love somebody, you're going to try to get them to think like you and believe like you problem is that part of that those beliefs that I have the the new way of thinking that I have kind of includes not everybody has to think the same way on everything (laughs) so it's kind of this you know this uh, catch 22 where I think that you don't have to think like me and they think if I don't think like you then you don't like me and you don't love me anymore so there's this weird like hurt that I didn't even expect to come along that I'm not sure what, I mean, I, I can't really fix that, but is what it is. Yeah, that, I think things that I've been having to peel back and get almost like weights holding me down are, are this idea that I need to believe the correct thing and, yeah. um, and get it right. And in some ways, even that there is a, a right answer to some questions. Some questions I think are just the wrong question. And if you approach the Bible with that question, you're going to get an answer. That's not what the Bible was trying to tell you. I see that a lot, a lot with uh, young people who are trying to figure out what things are sinful and what things aren't sinful. Hmm. Right. Just give me a list. Yeah. And it's, you know, if you're on like uh Reddit, Christian Reddit, which is horrible. <laughs> I, I spent like a month on Christian Reddit and felt like a you know Reddit missionary, and then I was like, "This is the worst. This is the worst place. They should they need to close down Christian Reddit." Um, but you know, every other one is a eighteen year old boy asking about, "Is it a sin to do this or this or this or this or this?" Yeah, yeah. And all of those questions are the wrong question. Like the, you can't answer that question correctly. Um, what do you mean? It like 
that's not what the Bible is, is like, okay, here's the list of, yes, that's a sin, but only if it's been four hours, you know, <laughs> and consult your doctor or whatever. But the, it's, <laughs> that approach is, is missing the point um, of what is the list of correct things or good things? What's the list of bad things? And even as we, I don't know where I started this tangent, but I'm going to keep writing it because it's going. Go so it, in our redeemed and resurrected bodies, the, the reason we are going to live a glorious or sinless life, you know, of perfection is not because we're going to suddenly know all the correct things right? and, and, and have the ability to have the discipline now that we know all the correct things to do all the correct things. Mm-hmm. But we act like that. Uh, the, the reason we're going in our resurrected and redeemed bodies going to live in this, in this uh, perfect relationship is because of our restored relationship with Christ. And it's that proximity or that intimacy or that relationship that accidentally causes the rest to fall in place. Mm. It's the, it's the total acknowledgement of who God is and who we are. And, and that relationship, you know, righteousness Righteousness being the correct relationship with God, that also puts us in the correct relationship with people. But it seems like for so long I was stuck trying to do the opposite. I was trying to do the correct things, believe the correct things, and and if I got those wrong, I would scramble it and, and try to get the right belief mm-hmm. and then enough willpower to, to make sure that I was doing those things hoping that that somehow makes my relationship with God better or closer or my relationship with people better or closer. But I don't think it works that way. Hmm. That had something to do with our, uh, our church of Christ upbringing though, that it's, it's hard to, it's hard to let go of that, of you either believe the right thing or you don't. And if someone disagrees with me, then we've got to rectify this. Right. Because we believe different so that, you know, we're, we're now one of us is wrong and we turned the importance meter on every topic up to a hundred. Yeah. So it's important that we figure out which one of us is right so that we can continue, continue doing the correct thing. But it's just such a, backwards approach to a relationship with God. thinking about a discussion this week I had with somebody and they were very hung up on the fact that I and my wife have come to the, this place of affirming LGBT relationships. And I tried to explain to them, you know, some, just some of the basics about like 
how some language was changed in, in certain translations and the, the cultural aspects of other sections of the Bible, that kind of thing. And the they were just so hung up on, like, well, so are you saying the Bible is wrong? Like, no, no, you're missing the point. The translations are wrong. Well, I thought we were... I thought we were all taught that the Bible was immutable. I'm like, well, I, uh, <laughs> it, you know, it's one of those things that. <laughs> but we, I am capable of g- getting it wrong. <laughs> it's like, well, if if the Bible is not changeable, how can people have changed it? And we have evidence it's been changed here and there. And what I came down to is, I I said, you know, I don't think that there's a translation out there that you could not read it and come to a saving relationship with God through Christ. I mean, that's that, and that's, to me, that's the key, is have some sort of relationship with God uh, where you're one with him, etc. The The thing that we get hung up on is wanting to all agree on all the small stuff or things that um, may change through time. And, you know, it's blast, you said you were going to, do anything blasphemous, but well, the, the lightning—it's sunny outside now, so we're okay. safe for, for a little bit. Yeah, I hear the birds chirping outside my door. We're okay, um, but it—it it, it may be blasphemous for to some for some people to say that some of the things in the Bible may not apply anymore, or may apply in a different way, just culturally, or you know, just just from the fact that societies are so different now. The the internet has changed a lot of things for people and the mobility that we have and how how we do our work. I mean, there's thing that the world that we're living in was not comprehended by the people who wrote the Bible. And I know, you know, I, God was involved, etc. But don't know how. Anyway, where I'm, I don't know where I'm going with this, other than to just kind of reinforce your point about how we get hung up on making the small things big. You know, majoring in the minors, and mm-hmm. we we get so stuck on those things that we um, are, I think we do a disservice to the world by focusing on those things and splitting things apart that shouldn't be split apart. And I don't know, it's it, it's all it's all tricky. But at the same time, I feel like I'm I'm seeing things more and more simply, which is yeah. one thing that I'm I'm thankful for. Yeah, I'm. I have a lot of empathy for people who hear what you just said about the Bible, and it it freaks them out a little bit. Sure. And I would I would even translate what you said to them, because you're skipping several steps in your development of how you understand language to work. Yeah. Again, both of us speak foreign languages and have encountered the the untranslatable words. Yeah. Right. Or the word that means five different things. Mm-hmm. And so that's fine if you're translating, you know, a map or, or something. But if you're translating a poem now, now you have been given an impossible task. Right. Um, because the poem is making use of those five different phrases that in English are 10 different words now. Right. So, so we both know that translation is cultural and contextual and that real translation is almost impossible in the mm-hmm. way that someone would imagine it if they if they've never learned another language if you've never learned right. another language it's almost like 
if you learned a code as a kid and you had a secret code and like the triangle means B and the square means C and you can do it back and forth perfectly. But languages it don't work that way. Yeah, sometimes it takes a paragraph to translate a sentence. <laughs> right. Yeah, or or when when you're translating something it this is a thing that's you know, again, it's the next step is so now when there are meaning well-meaning usually Christian groups getting together to translate a passage, they have to debate and figure out how are we going to do this? Because if we use this word, we lose this meaning. If we use this word, then people are going to misunderstand it. Mm -hmm. If we use the literal word, then they're definitely going to understand it or misunderstand it. So uh, the translation process is an editorial process. Yeah. It's, it's people making judgment calls and they're, they're trying to be, filled with the spirit just like we are but then 10 years later their translation could could be incorrect now because yeah. language moves so fast yeah so the way that i use uh the, the first example i thought of was ass and i don't know if that would <laughs> <laughs> um and then i couldn't think of any others and i was trying really hard um, how about the word incredible incredible means i don't believe it incredible, right? Exactly. You are untrustworthy. You are incredible, Steve, right? Right. But now now it means like that's fantastic. It means awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, that's a great thank you for saving me from that example. Yeah. So if we had said um, beware an incredible witness in the King James <laughs> Version and then suddenly it's 50 years later or 150 years later and the plain and simple meaning of what we're reading is watch out for super awesome witnesses. Yeah, and then we're right. going to read a lot into that. Mm -hmm. And that's not God doing that. And that's not someone tricky doing something. That's us assuming something through an editorial decision back to, you know, the, the whole point is the writer did not mean for me to understand that incorrectly. Right. That's why translations continuous. And that's, when you talk about when you get into the even deeper now where now you're not just talking about how translation changes and can be difficult and that sometimes a choice is made and then sometimes you you can infer the wrong thing on accident from that choice but now when you're talk just in the weeds talking about the greek and and here's the contact here's how that would have heard to someone it feels like some like you're doing a magic trick. It feels like you're you, it's sleight of hand with the mind. Yeah. And you followed that path on on your own, so you know where you started and that you're you have the intent is what what was God saying and what was the author trying to say and how would it have been come across come across and then how does that apply to our lives today? Mhm. Mm and sometimes and I would say most of the time, actually, uh, in Scripture, 90% or more, you can get the idea from a bad translation. Yeah, yeah. And then there's the small percentage of uh, and homosexuality, that word, it's not the male better, um, arsikanoi, or I probably said that wrong. When there's a huge thing that hinges on one word in three places, that's very different from when we're talking about love or justice or faith or 
resurrection or this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I think, anyways, that was a long way to say I understand why it feels like you just did translation jujitsu to to change my mind about something that's just clear and obvious to me. Yeah. That you know it's in the Bible, so I I can trust it. And the answer is that, yeah, it is in the Bible, and you can trust it. Yeah. But the reason what you is don't. It? <laughs> yeah, the reason we read the Bible a lot of times and not just once, like it was written down. If it was a rule book, I, it's written down and it's the the end. Okay, we wrote it yeah. down. It's right here. Yeah. But the Bible is meant to be meditated on constantly, over mm-hmm. and over and over, because what it's trying to tell us is, it has to tell us in that way, trying to the connectedness of everything, how it, how the story connects to itself. And then how do I connect to it as I change as a person, the the Bible staying the same and I'm changing. And yeah, we're, we're approaching this thing always with our, our blind spots or the things that we look over or that we don't care as much about as other people. I am someone who always thinks Jesus is being sarcastic and of course you do. Um, you know, and I, I laugh out loud when I read the Bible often at phrases that people would, that may or may not be meant to be humorous because I'm bringing what I kind of want to see and what I expect to see to the, to the table. Yeah. And, and growing up, there's always a lot of emphasis on reading your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. And that's good. But. I'm to the point where if I hear someone use the phrase, the Bible clearly says, I immediately disbelieve it. (laughs) (laughs) Then maybe maybe that's extreme, but uh, I would rather, usually when people say that, it's because they're trying to argue that against a different interpretation of the quote unquote plain reading. And Tim Mackey in the, on the Bible project podcast. I just, I just listened to a recent episode and he was talking about how, uh, how complicated some of this stuff was in Genesis one with the, the creation stories and things like that. And John, the, the coast is like, this is just really complicated. Why can't we just like read this? And he's like, Tim said the the Bible is not something it's not meant to be just read. It is, it is a book to be studied. And I think that there's a lot to that. And not that everybody has to be a Greek and Hebrew scholar or a historian. I mean, that's why we have people like Tim Mackey at the Bible Project and John Walton, who writes a lot of, a lot of these books about ancient cultures and understanding the Bible in different ways and on and on and on. I mean, we, we have people who who are, are experts in this stuff and it's it's important that I think I think it's important that we pay attention to them and take take this bible stuff seriously if you it, it's so it's always blown my mind a bit when i hear people who espouse to be super concerned about the scripture how much they love the word of god etc but then they refuse to actually study it. They just want to read it in their preferred translation and move along and just assume that what they read is what, what it, what it says. And I don't know. I just, there's just too much to it. 
No, yeah, that we've definitely heard a lot, especially recently, like just the Bible, just the Bible for me, the Bible plain and simple. Yeah. And the, I actually agree with that, <laughs> but, but there's a whole, there's a lot of plaque in that term. There's a whole lot of baggage that comes along with it because the, maybe elegance is the right words. Simple. The Bible is not a simple book. Yeah. And you can, way to put it. you can really only get to simple if you zoom in far enough that you're just looking at one sentence at a time, hmm. which is like looking at one hair on my head and trying to describe me or get to know me. You know, the simplicity can only happen in the Bible if you're cutting stuff away. But it's comfortable the, to do that because I can I can describe one hair pretty accurately. Yeah, you can grasp it. You can hold on to it and yep. yeah, wrap, wrap all the way around it. And I should back up because, of course, there are some, there are some simple truths in the Bible like sure. love your enemy or love your neighbor that are it's are simple yeah and complicated right <laughs> um yeah. but there's also an elegance to the bible and elegance is the word for when simplicity has depth to it hmm. elegant you, you know oh great that's a word that has changed a lot too but like an elegant solution is is it just a brilliant, but brilliant in its straightforward approach to, to solve a complicated problem. And the, you know, so the, I have, I have discovered a lot, especially growing up church of Christ, where we're zoomed into one verse, which turns into proof texting and turns into yeah, kind of a, a checklist or, or even legalistic mentality, but zooming out, to see these verses in in context, to to see the color behind everything, it's it's almost like this is a really interesting phenomenon I've I've noticed. So, if you Google tomato or cucumber or cherry or uh, even like mint, what you're going to find, and then look up the images. I haven't done this in a long time, so maybe maybe Google's caught up. But what you're going to see is a white screen with this perfect round red fruit or whatever you Googled just suspended in air. Hmm. Um, but a tomato is a plant. and and But in the modern Western world, we've separated all of the all of the soil and the outside and the there's tomato worms and you know the the vine and the flowers and the little prickly things that I don't know what they do and then the the process of a tomato growing if you were a kid you don't learn any of that you just google tomato this is a tomato where do you get it you get it at walmart we've sanitized it yeah. We've sanitized it, simplified it, cleaned it up so that it is plain and simple. But a tomato is a beautiful, beautiful thing with that is the culmination of all these things. And it and the Bible is a lot like that. And when we're going one verse at a time to prove a point or to answer, you know, what's a sin or what's what's the right way to vote or drive or get married <laughs> or whatever mm-hmm. it is. 
then we end up with a little tomato Bible verse. And then we're content because we got the answer we were looking for. Um, Makes sense. We put the tomato in our pocket and we walk away. But there, so that's what we mean. But we're not, we're not saying the tomato is not there. We're saying there's a depth to this that you miss if you're, if you're zoomed in that far. And the, we're not trying to twist the words of scripture. We are trying to understand what they have been trying to tell us all along. And we even watch that process happen in scripture. In scripture, we have examples of people reading scripture and getting it 500 years later after it was written. Like, wait a minute. That's what this Amos was writing that God was always planning to have Gentiles in the kingdom. Mind blown. But it's in the but it was in there all along. Yeah. Or when Jesus is calling out the Samaritan cities and and what what that means and the Samaritan widow or or, or whatever um uh he's he's talking about scripture that's I don't know enough about the Bible to know the answer. How old is that? 700 years old, 1000 years old at Jesus's time? Sure. Um <laughs> depending on what, what I'm referring to. And, yeah, I, I can never remember the date. <laughs> and and then Peter is discovering like having to undo his culture that he grew up in and the way that he understood the Bible to mean, of course you can't, of course you have to be circumcised. Of course you have to eat kosher. Of course you have to keep the Sabbath in this way. It's in the Bible, plain and simple. Yeah. It doesn't get simpler. And we've been doing it for 4,000 years. Again, I'm making up these numbers because I, I need to know. I don't know the answer to that. How long the, Always around, but we watch him go through that process, but, but we're surprised that that is the process that God is bringing us to as well. All of us, we are on that journey. It of, kind of makes me think of when we were talking to Sally and I said, you know, what do you say to people who say, well, we've already always believed it this way. And how, how can we believe it some different way now? And her brilliant response I thought was, well, for a lot of years, we thought slavery was just fine. And even supported by scripture, you know, the slave owners used the Bible to show that what they were doing was godly. And we see that that that's not the case now. And so it's just, I think it just comes down to it's it's our job as if we're, if we would, if we're going to take this stuff seriously, then we need to take the time to take it seriously and understand what that really means. And I think we're sometimes too flippant or we are we we get a a interpretation in our head and we don't want to look into something different because that might make me change my mind. And if I change my mind, then I'm gonna to have to undo whatever I've done in the past. Maybe that means that I am in some way condemning somebody that I didn't condemn before or vice versa, then I feel bad. There's so much. We like to think that we are rational people. (laughs) (laughs) If there's one thing certain in the world is that humans are never rational. There's a great book. uh, The title is Predictably Irrational. And it's it's, it's basically by a social psychologist. And it's all about all these experiments and uh, studies that they did that just show how people were so convinced that we're doing this for the right reasons 
or the the right we, that we've analyzed all the data, and therefore I'm coming to this conclusion. Where 95% of the time we're just doing it based on emotion in some way, shape, or form, and we often look for things to support the thing we've decided. And I'm I mean Definitely. I'm well aware that that's me too. It's all the pathos. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. And it when you said the name of the book um what is it predictably irrational? Irrational. Yeah. I I just see my I don't even I haven't read the book, but I can just see all of the ways that I am that. <laughs> yeah. And even in ways that I can see it and there are so many ways that I can't see it. You know how I'm yeah. how I act that way or what my blind spots are, that's I feel like I'm always very good at seeing other blind spots and I always wish they'd, you know, like, when do I get to point them out to you? People never ask that. But uh, I never pause to think, oh, I wonder if I have just as many as everyone else I know. <laughs> no, probably well, I not because I don't yeah. see them. Right, exactly. And I think that's one reason I enjoy learning that I was wrong so much. I mean, I, I, somebody, I told that to somebody the other day and they acted like I was crazy. But... I like to find out that I was wrong about something because I know that it, I inherently have these preconceived notions and irrational thoughts and irrational decisions. And if I've, if I've learned something that I realize I had the wrong way, I feel like I'm closer to the truth mm -hmm. because if I didn't like that thing and I realize that it's the right thing, then that kind of, does a kind of an, an end around the the preconceived notions, I guess. Yeah, I I would say I think I know what you're saying, which is if you if you go through life and never encounter any area where you've gotten something wrong, it means you just haven't discovered it. it right. <laughs> so so when you do find the thing, it means oh okay, I'm still open to this. I'm still. I'm at the place where I'm still um, searching enough that I'm going to discover a thing or two every now and then that I've got wrong because I know I've got a hundred of them or a million or 5% or, you know, I don't know what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I know they're there, but I don't know what they are. So anytime I find one, it's like, Oh good. Okay. It's possible. It's like chipping away at the, at the crust that was your preconceived notions and, assumptions yeah which is something i, I like i like to do because i want to get closer to the truth all the time i love this um I, I i ran across this verse and i i feel like it describes where i'm trying to go but maybe doesn't describe where i have been which is this uh this idea that I'm trying to see where to start it Hey, I'll just start at the beginning. So this is Paul. It's a very good a place to start. <laughs> when you sing, every time someone says that. <laughs> do re mi. Do re mi. <laughs> sorry, sorry, um, go ahead. Great. That's going to be the one that you don't quote from the movie. You're just going to let me sing the sound of music to people. <laughs> so, you know, we'll see if this is going where I think it's going. So Ephesians 3, skip to the end. For this reason, I kneel before the Father for whom for whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, which is just an interesting phrase all of itself. That's not what I'm talking about, though. But every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. 
That, that's okay. I am going to stop there because the there's so much pride in the Church of Christ in the name that the Church of Christ mm-hmm. picked, and this mm-hmm. verse is like everyone is named after God. <laughs> that's what that <laughs> verse means. <laughs> for for whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, not just the Church of Christ. You know. Um, <laughs> But what we do is do it backwards. Like, if we name ourselves after God, then we'll be in his family. You know? Like, no. <laughs> this is how. Um, I'm continuing on. it. So, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray, here, here it comes. So, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in, and then I have always tried to fill this with intelligence, uh, correctness in study, being rooted and established in tradition, being rooted and mm-hmm. established in uh, correct theology. Right. And when any of those things get threatened, then because I'm rooted and established in that, then it is threatening my foundations and it's scary. Yeah. And I have never been rooted and and established in love. Mm, yeah. Like what a crazy f- for have for, for my identity and security and safety my connection to I'm the tomato and the root is that this is love. It's mm. such a foreign thought to me. But that's because I wasn't rooted and established in love. I was rooted and established in correct interpretation of the Bible. Mm, yeah and then he just keeps on going and says yeah because then you you with all of the lord's people the ones named after him which is everybody to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of christ and to know the love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled to the measure of the all of the fullness of god and he says it again he's like and to know the love that surpasses knowledge like the knowledge is not as great surpasses as the, knowledge, yeah. the love that you're going to look for, or, you know, this, this love that is available to you, that you is simple that you can connect to simply. And that, uh, and that it fills you with that. It, it, it matures you and grows you. But if that's not the start, then you're on, you're back to the You're on the sand. You, you know, your, your foundation is the wrong foundation. Mm-hmm. And, like what we've been trying to do together, this verse didn't have to say that. Paul could have said, all right, church, I'm writing to you and, and I'm, I think it's important that we get things right and everyone's going to read this because it's going to be in the Bible. So here goes. <laughs> uh, I want you to be rooted and established in the correct hermeneutic to read the Torah so that so that you don't make any mistakes. Right. It's not what it says. But that's not, it's not what he's calling. And if you, you know, it is important to, uh, to study diligently, but it is not as important as making sure you're rooted and established in love, which I have never been. And I'm, that's, that's what I've been discovering. I got unrooted from my church and that was scary. Yeah. And there's people at that church that are full of love. Sure. But my my foundation was that I was in the church doing the thing mm-hmm. correctly. Yeah, it, it's I'm trying to figure out what that means too. 
to see. It's kind of like the only, I mentioned a while back, Patrick Mead mentioning how that the only law that God gives us is love. And it kind of is like, you know, that sums up the law and the prophets. You know, it's like the entire Old Testament, which was the Bible at the time. Jesus and Paul both say, yeah, Jesus says a bunch of words and says, this sums up the law and the prophet. Paul is like, there's one word that sums up the law and the prophet. <laughs> and then yeah. he says like five words, but I'm guessing the <laughs> word he meant was in the middle of it and it was love. Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, it really is if trying to figure out what that means, it's probably even the wrong way to approach it because <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what the, what, what, if I'm going to live my life by love, and if what that's are the, the rules law, of this love? Right, exactly. What are the rules of the love? What what can I, what's the minimum that I need to do? And what can I, it's, it's, the, it's the game you play, like the guy on <laughs> Christian Twitter asking, you know, how far can I go with my girlfriend and not not be considered sleeping with her or whatever? Right. And, uh, and you're asking the wrong question. And How big of a box do I have to buy to fit this love inside it? Right. <laughs> I mean, do I have to love everybody all the time? Or And that's, you know, then it's like, wait, wait, who's my neighbor? You know, that that's why those people yeah. are asking those questions because they're like, let's put some limits. Uh, let's be reasonable. <laughs> let's be reasonable, Jesus. I know I have to love, but who? Yeah, and then, then the big discussion. Yeah, who <laughs> and how long and how many times do I have to forgive them? All these questions. There are the same questions we ask constantly now. And because we want to like, okay, love, great, you know, thumbs up. I, I like I like the idea of love. But what that looks like every day, uh, it people get into huge arguments about what that means. And I I'm trying to just trying to stop myself from doing that. doesn't the people who don't argue about what love means are children hmm uh and i I, i've wondered this recently that the verse that the you have to become like one of these you have to become like a a child to inherit the kingdom and that can mean a lot of things there's a trust component to that but children for a while have an acceptance of people that is not conditional on who those people are yeah doesn't matter what you look like, what you weigh like, what you smell like. You know, they're, you know, children can be clumsy and like, you know, what's wrong with that guy's face is a conversation I just had (laughs) where we had a learning moment that you don't say that right in front of him, you know, and it's called acne. (laughs) Um, But, uh, but children don't put boxes around love. They're just like, yeah, fine. Okay. Um, And they don't they don't think like what people are in it and what and aren't in it. They know when they're getting it and they know when they're not getting it. Yeah. It's adults that are like, ah, I don't know, this love thing could be taken too far. It's a slippery slope, love. Right. <laughs> um 
Yeah, and then I, I actually had somebody say to me today when I said I'm just trying to love people, they said, well, it depends on what you mean by love. I'm like, what? And what? I grew up in the Church of Christ, so I know exactly what they mean because yeah. what they mean is, well, if you love people, you kind of pretend like you don't like them. Just kidding. But it's <laughs> it's this idea that if you – it and it's true that as a parent, for me to love Malachi doesn't mean I buy him chocolate all the time. Mm-hmm. and toys um sometimes it means that i send them to time out yeah or that i say no or, or whatever or you say don't touch that hot stove you're gonna burn yourself right yeah so that so there is of course and that's where we get into the well do we just you know we get back into what that means but I think a lot of times those conversations are forgetting the relationship part of love. Mm-hmm. You know, the reason an uncle, uh, like Malachi, you know, my son's uncle, man, my brother lived with me and my son for a long time. And my brother would sneak mush, uh, marshmallows to, to my son. And my brother would let him play uh, a game on his phone. And um, <laughs> He wanted to be the cool of- uncle. Yeah, because I have to be the parent, but my brother does not have to be the parent. And if you're even further separated, if you're the candy lady at church, you're going to be zero the parent, and it's going to be all candy all the time. Mm -hmm. And if I meet, and if I if I'm on the park, and there's some kid that I don't know, I'm not going to discipline that kid. Or if I do, I'm going to get in big trouble. Right. You know. Um. Anyways. What I'm getting at is that the tough love or the discipline love or the corrective love is in close relationship. (laughs) Yeah. So when people are talking about that, they're talking about people whose behavior they don't agree with or whose lifestyle or whose beliefs or whatever. And they think that they're loving them by hating them. But they can't get to that place where they're going to be in a position to have the wisdom to even know what the right thing is for someone like that. Mm-hmm. If they're, if they're that far away, I am the person who I can correct the, the most mm-hmm. and address the most followed by the people I'm in the most intimate and committed relationships. And then, it, you know, the, the further out it goes um, is when love just like feels like love to them. Yeah, you have the the relationship part of it is a- absolutely key, and we even see this Jesus doing this kind of thing when he's eating with the prostitutes and the tax tax collectors. You know, they wouldn't be hanging around him if they were being told constantly how sinful they were, or they need to change their life, or whatever. But what he was clearly doing was developing a relationship with them. Right. Showing them love, unconditional love. Like, I love you as you are. You know, sure, there may be things that you need to, that you, or you should work on or change or avoid or whatever, but you can't bring someone closer to God if you don't, if they don't think that you love them. That, that would be an interesting That'd be an interesting study just to look, because it is a very common refrain that people will say, well, Jesus didn't accept these people as they were. He, he told, he required them to change. What, 
what I want to spend now my time looking at in the gospel is, is that actually true? Meaning, I can think of some times when Jesus asked people to change that were in the class of the sinner and the prostitute and the tax collector. But the ones that I can think of are kind of rare. And he literally, he does establish a relationship first. Mm -hmm. Does Zacchaeus change on his own or does Jesus tell him what to do? I'm trying to think think of examples. I think he changes. I mean, generally what he seems to say is just go and sin no more. Right, but it, but yeah. that he did. It's not like and Jesus was hanging out with the sinners and tax collectors, saying unto them, "Go and sin no more." Right. He was saying unto them, "The kingdom has come for the poor." <laughs> right. Good news. Yeah. And and the people that he does say that, you know, the 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 woman where he he clearly shows her, "I know you, I know who you are, I know what you're about," mm-hmm. and it's true what you say that you're you're not married because you're. You've been married five times and you're, you're, or whatever, you're with someone who you're not married now. He's, even that he's, is this short interaction, obviously, but where he establishes that he know I know you. Yeah. So, I mean, what do we do with that? Just ignore problems or ignore sin in other people's lives? We've got the formula wrong for what sin is and how to stop it. Ah, Okay. So, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe I won't go so far as to say we ignore sin in others' lives. That's too much of a blanket statement. But the formula so. is, if there's sin in other people's lives and there's sin in your life, whose should you focus on? The answer is yours. Right. Your own. But even when you're focusing on your own, it is not supposed to be through knowing the correct thing and drawing boxes so that I don't accidentally sin that's what the pharisees did and they were good at it and in fact they succeeded at it in some many of them were hypocritical and called out for that but they they were earnest in their reading of the scripture mm-hmm. and then they were they drew lines so that they wouldn't sin and that's not what christ is calling us to the formula is that you 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 put your sinful self to death and take on Christ to be righteousness for you. And it's not any of your own. It's not that you're squeezing your Christian muscle hard. It's, it's that it's the only way to do that is, is closer and closer relationship to Christ. And when you, and when Paul talks about the sinful nature, he doesn't mean doing sinful things. He means both living in your I know, according to your stomach or your lusts or or just your old way, but also battling that in the old way. Yeah, that is also living to the sinful nature, and and when he says to put it to death, of course we want to put the sin to death that we're trying to stop, but that's not helpful language to anyone who's trying to stop sin. We'll we'll just stop. Put that part of you to death. Well, like that's like the whole part of me, you know. Yeah. What he's saying to stop is that part of you that is trying to fix that with the law. That's the sinful nature that you put to death. And only when you stop that, can you let Christ do it for you. Mm. And so, yeah, we, we're trying to, we're trying to do it backwards. Um, but it's letting yeah, Christ. The formula, the formula has always been, Hey, look at the sin. You, you should stop that sinning so you can follow God. 
Yeah, when and, you sin, you're farther from God or you're disappointing God, yeah. or but you're not. You're as close to God as, as you were when he sent Christ to redeem you. Mm-hmm. He, he sent Christ to the far away and to the near. Yeah. But while we were still sinners, that's when the love happened yeah. on purpose to remind us that, that that's, you know, I'm getting fired up. But the <laughs> but so for our own selves, it truly is the greatest command, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor, is talking about this. <laughs> it's saying this sums up the law and the prophets because that is what it takes is that relationship with God. God and that relationship with God fixes your relationship with your neighbor and vice versa. Yeah. It's a, it's a two way thing. So when we're folk, when we're looking at others and trying to get them to stop their sin, I guess by throwing truth bombs at them or whatever it is, we're, we're still applying the wrong formula. If, if we want them to stop their sin, we can introduce them to Jesus. Right. And then Jesus is going to help them with their sin. Jesus is going to tell them what to do with their neighbor or not do. And in some cases, what Jesus leads people to do is surprising. Like with Peter, when he meets the the guy after the blanket food dream. Cornelius. Thank you, Cornelius. He is surprised because the man clearly has a relationship with God. Yeah, which would make no sense. And so he's like, even, wow, God is bigger than I thought. God is even, God has given his spirit to these people. Holy cow, that's amazing. That's, I didn't predict that. That's not (laughs) right. You know, if we're, if there's a group of people that we are like going to be disappointed that God's okay with them, we might be doing it wrong. (laughs) Uh, That's a really, really good point. And there's probably always a group. Oh, there always is a group. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm just sitting below my my little vine, waiting for some, uh, some lightning action to hit all kinds of groups right now. I'm just waiting for it. <laughs> yeah, and I'm I'm just doing my best to try to look at those groups or, or whoever they may be, and try to just, I guess, love them where they are. Maybe that, maybe that sounds like a cheesy flippant statement but just say i see you as you are and i love you for that and uh i'm gonna have i have a relationship with that person and let let the rest be between them and god i don't i just don't understand the obsession that we have with trying to fix everyone else so god's going to be happy with them like god fixes people we, it's not our job to fix somebody else. If I see something that I think is maybe wrong in your life, if if I see you, if I see your life going into a destructive mode, <laughs> I may have a talk with you and say, "Hey, buddy." Right. But if if if, especially if it's somebody who I don't have a relationship with, I'm not. I don't. We shouldn't be just sticking our nose where it doesn't belong. I don't know. Easier said than done sometimes because we just get so, uh, we're so addicted, I think, to being right and it feels good that it's hard to just back off and say, you know, it's not my job to figure out some of these things. It's my job to love you and 
point you to God and let you and God talk it out. Yeah, it's de- it's definitely easier to love humanity than it is to love people. What is it in the cartoon you showed? Where is it, Gary? I'm I'm trying to use fake names, but in the in the cartoon you showed, where it's like love love everyone, and they're like even Gary, and they're like, <laughs> yes, even <laughs> Gary. Um, like because it's hard to love a Gary. Yeah. Of, um, like the people I work with the specific people or the people I live with or the people I, those people are hard to love because yeah. they're broken and they're wrong and they're say hurtful things and they're, you know, better than me or incompetent or whatever it is. So it's definitely hard. And the, you know, the, I also wonder like the amount of judging people that I am doing has gone down so much that I think that's half the burden that's been lifted off of me. You know, that's a good point. I mean, I'm right there with you. (laughs) (laughs) And so I'm much less concerned about everybody else's sin. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, the, I'm, I'm still dealing with uh, hurt and some stuff, but one of the message I would have for families and people left at the church that we went to is like, yeah, we're cool. No judgment. Yeah. Um, I understand where you are, and I don't consider that I am better than you because I am where I am. Right. Because I, I know how I got to where I am, and I know myself, which means I know all of my uh, things that I've discovered so far that I'm wrong about. And I I know the story of me, so that's just a good way to be humble right there is, you know, I, I know the rest of the story. <laughs> yep. Amen to that. I'm actually kind of an ugly tomato, as it turns out, but I'm trying to be rooted. <laughs> I have some bad tomatoes outside. This is why when I lean back, I can see my um, diseased tomatoes. <laughs> and this is why I'm Googling tomatoes. So, <laughs> yeah, I've What got should a, whole... a tomato look like? <laughs> Not that. We have like 30 tomato plants popping up in the, in the rocks next to our, to our garden bed. Volunteers? Because... Yeah, because like a couple of years ago, we had this uh, one of these like like yellow grape tomatoes things that just it blew up. It just it was massive and just everywhere. And in tearing it out, there were a bunch of tomatoes still left on the vine. I just like threw it on the ground, and some of them dried. And so there's tomato seeds everywhere. <laughs> so it's like constant like pulling up tomato plants now. They're in the wrong path. They're in the rocky path. Yeah, so I was gonna say. I've got one struggling tomato plant to grow and you're bragging about how you accidentally grew all these tomatoes. <laughs> you have to, you have so many tomatoes, you have to pull them out of the rocks. And I'm like, what am I doing wrong? Well, but I don't have any actually in the garden this year. So right. you're, you're still, I, I yeah. have useless tomatoes. That's, that's how it goes. Well, <sighs> it's been good to actually talk to you, you know, after a month yeah. or whatever. It's been so long. Yeah. We should, we should do this again sometime. <laughs> We should start a podcast. Yeah. This is nice. Yeah. As long as people don't listen. (laughs) All right. I'll talk to you later, man. All right. Sounds good. All these messages I thought you wanted to hear. But it only takes a whisper. Hey, thanks for listening to Following the Fire. If you'd like to see show notes for this episode which includes links to everything we mentioned as well as all the scriptures, 
head on over to followingthefire.com and just click on this episode. There's also contact information on the website. Let us know what you think about the show and if you have any suggestions for future topics. Also, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts if you could. It really helps other folks find the show. And as always, thanks to the fabulous Daniel Wheat for the theme song and the music for the episode. You can find more of his stuff on Apple Music and Spotify. See you later. <laughs>